0: Good morning, church family. I'm Jake, one of the pastors here. I'm excited to jump into God's Word with you. You stoked? Right on. We're going to continue our study in the book of James. Uh, We opened it last week, Pastor Ed opened it last week. It's our summer series. So we're going to spend quite a bit of dense time within it, so I hope you're ready. But the scene is set. The scene is set. We're in a small room, and there's a table in the middle, and it's surrounded by all of these weary travelers. When I say weary travelers, I mean travelers who are nursing the wounds on their feet because they just walked forever. They're like stretching their backs because, you know, they're not young anymore. And they're just sitting around and waiting for a meal. And they gather because the time is near. The time is near. And so Jesus grabs a bucket of water and a rag. And he goes around and one by one, washes the feet of every disciple at that table. In John chapter 13, Jesus is saying this, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also have to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Here's the key. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We're continuing our study in the book of James in God's Word this morning as we discover the transforming life that we are called to live. James writes in his letter an immense number of practical tools for us in our Christian walk in our Christian lives. Practical tools for living the transforming, gospel-centered, Christ-centered life that we're called to. And this morning, I want to focus on just two items in this text in chapter 1 of James. Two items, two specific categories, hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. And then we'll wrap it all up at the end with a nice bow and we'll journey forward more into the coming weeks as we explore James together. But if you would, follow along with me in God's Word in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. James is near the end of the Bible. If you can see, it's in the New Testament. It's after the long book of Hebrews and before all the little tiny short letters, right? So James is here, and this is what it has to say in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is writing here as a pastor to people who he love who he loves good english <laughs> and they're scattered around they've been dispersed because persecution came to the church and so James is writing to those who are dear to his heart and he gives them practical tools and instructions on how to keep going on. How to endure the trials. The many, many trials that will come their way. And honestly, James uses some strong language here in this, in this passage this morning but really, to be honest, all the way through his letter. James uses some strong language. He doesn't shy away from calling it like it is you'll see what i mean when we get into the meat of it more. And in the second section of chapter 1 in the book of James, James is setting up what the rest of his letter will cover. It's essentially an outline of what is going to be discussed in chapters 2 through 5. And so here James begins in 19 through 27 by listing three duties. Three duties believers ought to take on in response to God's word. Verse 19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The original audience here in James' time, much of the communication for them, which was normal, was oral. Oral communication, right? This is the oral tradition that has been around for thousands of years. They didn't walk in the sanctuary with a piece of paper in their hand going, oh, I know what we're going to be talking about. Or go home with a book and go, I need to study this because it's good stuff. No, they, they sat here in these chairs. And they heard from God's Word out of the mouth of the pastor. Oral tradition was pretty standard. But what was most important is Listening. For oral tradition, the most important thing is to listen. It's obvious, Jake. Okay, move on. All right. I don't think we understand. Maybe we can put ourselves there in the first century church in some of those nice padded chairs that you're sitting in and and you're all gathered here and you're excited about God's Word. And maybe we can put ourselves in the shoes of some individuals, a young man in the middle who half of his mind and his ears are listening to the words from God's word but the other half is thinking about lunch fishing after church this man is running the risk of spiritual deprivation Similarly, maybe there's a middle-aged couple, just another row back, who hears the Word and they cling to everything that is said. Every word that they hear. And they take it in, they absorb it, and they chew on it, and they gain for themselves a life-giving spiritual advantage. For they listened, they heard, they gave attention to God's Word, And they were accepting it into their being. We have a bit of an issue today. Much like the the half-attentive lunch-thinking guy. We are non-listeners. A famous psychologist is quoted saying, listen to the conversations of our world between nations as well as between couples listen to those conversations because those conversations are for the most part dialogues of the deaf we've all been in conversation with someone uh well i hope you've ever had a conversation right you know okay cool We've all been in a conversation with someone who then uh, asks a reciprocating question of you and uh, you expect to give an answer to them, but in your answering them, their eyes start to fade, and their body language is like, I'm not listening, and in fact, they might not even be on the same planet as you anymore. Or, or even better yet, you're mid-conversation, and one of these, this happens, they're listening to you, listening and they respond to whoever, right? We as a culture, church family, have become non-listeners. It's like a standard for us now. Why are we so bad at listening? Why are we so bad at it? I'm sure we could list off a bunch of reasons why. It would be pretty easy. One of the commentators I was reading this week uh, writes, a major reason that we are such poor listeners is that we are so busy. Our busyness substitutes frenzy for conversation and wrecks our relationships. It fills our calendars and empties our lives of the ability to listen to anything that turns us away from our little gods. Hmm. Busyness, never-ending calendar events, activities, Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but if if I recall, before I was hired here as a church, uh, you went through this book called uh, Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. We're familiar with this. Some hands, yeah. Okay, I'm not crazy. Okay, Kevin DeYoung writes a great book called Crazy Busy. If you haven't read it, I read it in seminary. It was great. If you haven't read it, you should grab a copy. We might even have extra copies from when we went through it as a church, but. This book is a great tool to use because busyness is a cultural plague and it wrecks relationships. So we should be wary of it. And then the amazing quality of media that we have access to undoubtedly is a huge contributor to our abilities to focus and to concentrate. Movies, TV shows, YouTube, social media, scrolling through it all, it offers an immense amount of content that changes appearance about 15, every 15 seconds, sometimes quicker. So our attention is down, and we're unable to stay focused in conversations with an actual human being. What then says that we stay attentive to the unadorned Word of God? Be quick to hear, James says. Most importantly, and what ought most be first, listen. Hear. We get a few practical steps and tools to help us to be quick to hear. So if you're a note taker, here's three bullet points for you. If you're not, just listen up, okay? Uh, Number one, act actually listen to people. We can do that, right? Listen to people. Sky Simon says that listening is loving the neighbor as oneself. His concern and problems are sufficiently important to be heard. It's one of, part of the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And we can love our neighbor by lending them our ears. And by actually listening. Your eye contact, appropriate gestures when interacting with them. Appropriate silences when they're talking. Listen to your neighbor. Number two, another piece of the great commandment. Love God by listening to Him. So love your neighbor by listening to your neighbor. Love God by listening to Him. How's that done? We open up His Word. He's given us this incredible tool right here. Listen to it. Take it in. Maybe, maybe it looks like this. When you, you sit down in the morning for your, your Bible time and, um, and you just start reading. And you're like, wow. Oh, that's good. And you pause and you like collect it all in. And then you go right back to it. That's listening to God's Word. Verses opening it up first thing in the morning, and read, 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 read. read. Done, breakfast. <laughs> All right. Love God by listening to Him. Thirdly, we've got to slow down. We have to slow down. We need to limit the busyness, limit our intake of TV shows, social media, all the things that distract because ultimately it limits our ability to hear. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That second duty then that James lists is slow to speak. James is saying that we have two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much as you speak. Uh, The Jewish rabbis, they record it well. They say, this is the reason why we have two ears and one mouth. This might sound repetitious, but we need to hear it. This is the reason why we have two ears and one mouth, that we may hear more and speak less. The ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction, but the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to keep it in and to keep it within its proper bounds." Isn't that interesting physiologically speaking, though? We've got two earholes here that's they're constantly open, taking in information, or they ought to be. And then we got this jail cell in our mouths. <laughs> and if you have braces, even more so, to keep that tongue back. Be slow to speak. Because when we are sp- Quick to speak. The results are depressing. We're quick to open our mouths, and often, often anger builds in others and fuels our open mouths, closing off our ears, which we should be using to hear with in the first place. I speak this way because I relate to it, church family. Being slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. Christ has been uh, sharpening me a ton in preparation for this, this message. And it's been brutal. But ultimately, though difficult, it's been a blessing from God because He's active in my life and working. Chipping away the bad parts of Jake and preparing those spaces for good. And his work in those areas of my life are not done yet. Especially as we continue the book of James. Come on now. Here on Sunday mornings, I desire for God to do a work in me and in my heart. I desire for God to do a work in your heart, church family. Do you desire the same? So the first two duties, right? Be quick to listen, slow to speak. And the third one, for those who live to accept the word as it is, must be slow to anger. Pastor Ed, last week, uh, he stated that uh, there's a lot of literary influence in the book of James uh, to the author, stemming from both Jesus' teachings and the Old Testament wisdom literature. Okay, so like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, these kinds of things. We see here in a condensed type of language that James pulls from the wisdom literature in this third duty of being slow to anger. It says in Proverbs 29.11, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds back. Quietly holds back, believer. Be slow to anger. Don't let your emotions overrun you. An angry spirit is never a listening spirit. An angry spirit is never a teachable spirit. Am I being quick to listen to God or am I just speaking out of turn? Am I reacting in anger due to the pressures that I'm under? And we all are. Church family, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because in verse 20, it says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God, meaning God putting people in right relationship with himself. The righteousness of God. Putting people in right relationship with himself. Human anger is usually not pleasing to God. And it often leads to sin. Sin. Therefore, anger doesn't lead to a right relationship with the Father. So be slow to anger. Verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Those who are quick to become angry, quick to speak and slow to listen, they're going to struggle to grow in God's word. Have you reached a point in your spiritual journey that feels a little bit stagnant? Or maybe you feel kind of stuck. Is God's Word relevant to you? Do you look forward to reading it? Is it sweet to your soul? Do you find God's Word is always unveiling more and more each time you open it? Maybe what you need is a spiritual inventory. Time to clean up. How I many of you guys did your spring cleaning earlier, like in May? How many of you guys did it in February? No. How many of you guys are going to do it in never? There we go. Okay. <laughs> This is a healthy thing to do is to clean up your house so you know it doesn't just fall down and die. but it's also equally as important to do that internally with the Spirit. Take an inventory. Where are you at here with God's word? Do some cleanup. If you're burdened and weighed down and you're not meeting with God, add His word to your life. That's what James says. If you're not there, if things are not going well, add His Word. Accept His Word. And then go no further than what James says in verse 21. Take off all the filth. Take off the widespread wickedness. This verse begins with a negative command, but it then ends with a positive, so it's going to get light, okay? Bear with me. Where do I start with my inventory, with my cleanup? Tell God you're taking it off. Take it off like a sweatshirt you're wearing on a 90 degree day. You all know the feeling of the sticky arms, right? Take it off quickly. Remove the sin that entangles and distracts. For so filthy is the sin, so detestable is your and my sin that God, it must be gone. You must take it away. For this filth, this wickedness that holds on, remove it from me take it off, put it away. And then with the positive, and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. So then once you've put all that away, put all that sin and that wickedness away, everything that's still kind of holding on just slightly, you put it all away with open arms and a teachable spirit in humble acceptance, welcome the Word of God in your day-to-day. I have a uh, garden in my backyard at home. I love gardening. How many of you are gardeners? A few bashful hands, that's okay. It's because we know the reality of it. In my garden, I've got all the things you can put on a salad. I love the lettuce, the snap peas, the tomatoes, the onions, the the bell peppers, uh, we've also got berries, raspberries, blueberries, strawberries. we got a slew of things. But we also have an incredible amount of these nasty, invasive growths. They grow in between my strawberries and my lettuce, and up underneath the raspberry shoots, like plants that are juiced up on steroids. Yes, I'm referring to weeds. I hate them weeds are the worst and they tase, so much of my time is spent pulling these stupid things but they got to go the weeds got to go you have to remove all the weeds at their root to make room for the intended crop remove all the sin at its root and make room to receive the implanted word of god believer God promises to put His Word within His people. To write it on their hearts. It says actually in the book of Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three, deep into the Old Testament, it says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put My law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be My people. James' audience, they're, they're reading this. They're hearing this from his letter. And they're understanding that they are the recipients of this promise. That God will write it on their hearts. Will fill it in their minds. Jesus who is one of James' major sources sources for this letter, he stated something similar in Mark chapter 4 in the parable of the sower. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's a guy who casts out seeds on different kinds of soils. He says this, "...ready the good soil in each of your hearts so that the seed of the word that has been planted there might produce plentiful fruit." Ready the good soil. The seed's there. Give it room to grow. Accepting the Word as a spiritual act of obedience to the command of verse 21 is really the kickoff theme here in the remaining verses in James, uh, this first chapter. Verses 22-27. through 27. Verses 22. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And you are only truly accepting God's Word in your life if you're living up to verse 22. Don't just hear the Word alone. Do it. In accepting the Word, act on it. Do something about it. This is no new idea that James is coming up with. James was not in the least bit concerned about coming up with new theological ideas and understandings of Jesus' teaching. He cared greatly and deeply for the heart of Jesus' people. And so this is why James says this not new idea. Hear it, do it. Simple enough, right? Hear it and do it. It's also echoed within like Greek and Roman philosophy and, and moralism, right? Practice what you preach. Or maybe you heard that from your dad growing up. Practice what you preach. You're more likely. Jesus also stated a likeness. Uh, which is recorded in uh, Luke 11. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God, and obey it. So it's everywhere. It's no new idea. James is just pulling from the common, and saying this: We we got to do this, guys. Nothing is more vital or more important than a person's response to the gospel, good news. Nothing's more vital and more important than someone who confesses and repents before Christ, understanding His life, death, and resurrection, and the power there that is upon their lives. Both God's grace and our grateful response are necessary aspects of the Gospel. The commentator writes, the word through which we are born into new life and which becomes implanted in us, is a word that must be put into practice. James then brings up this this mirror illustration that, that Marty alluded to in verses 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Traditionally, the mirror here is interpreted as God's Word. And when we look into God's Word, this man sees himself as he really is. He observes that he is a sinner, that he has a sin problem, and it's obscene. He sees this reflection and like in a passing glance, goes on his way. The Word of God apparently had no effect on his life. didn't make any change had it ever really entered in his life in the first place. Or maybe, maybe he stares at his reflection in God's Word and examines it at length and he accumulates more and more knowledge from God's Word about his circumstances, about him, finding great thrill in hearing alone, but then turning away from the mirror and not applying any of it hearing without doing. What point is it? What point is it to sit in a Bible study with your life group or sit in church on Sunday mornings if you're not going to act on it? Why do it? It's meaningless. So James is communicating here. What point is it if we're not going to apply the truths of his word to our lives? Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What the first man who looked into the mirror of God's worst missed entirely in observing his depravity, his deepest, darkest sins, is that he is in need of help. He is in dire need of help. He needs constant saving. And that's exactly what we see in the second part of this illustration. The person here looks and keeps looking. And keeps looking into the mirror peering over and like extending physically into God's Word and saw their helplessness and their sin issue, but also truly seeing and observing the reflection of a completely and holy and sovereign God who cares for their soul and offers them forgiveness and grace. The full work of the perfect law of liberty. This person keeps looking into God's word and then goes and acts on it. Looking and doing. Looking and doing. Hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. Sitting in God's word and applying it to your life. Sitting in church on Sunday mornings and working it out during the week. It never says you have to do it perfectly, church family. You don't even have to do it well. But go and do something about it. Knowledge followed by obedience brings about more knowledge. If you hear and do, God will reveal more to hear here. God reveals something to you and and you take the time and the energy to go work it out and obey His Word. That's hearing and doing. True knowledge demands action. Verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's all culminating down to this point in these last two verses. The conclusion of the opening, the conclusion of the outline of James's letter here. Hear the Word of God. Accept the Word of God. Do the Word of God. And now in these final verses, James writes about true religion. True religion is found in a life of obedience to the Word of God. And James lists out three key ideas that i will come back to later in the text in later chapters as we are here on Sunday mornings and we will discover true religion controls the tongue. True religion reaches out to people in their need. And true religion is a pure life. Controls the tongue. Reaches out to people in their need. Is a pure life. John Calvin states that James does not define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion without the things he mentions is nothing. Religion without everything that we've just gone over is worthless. Rituals that go no further than outward show and mere words are pointless. If someone claims to have religion, claims Christianity, but is without specific action, is truly deceived. True religion controls the tongue. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Verse 19. Control the tongue. In a few weeks, we'll go to chapter 3 in James and we'll look deeper into this one issue. James has a lot to say about this. True religion reaches out to people in their need. The orphan, the widow, is what James mentions here at a time in the beginning of the church over 1,900 years ago. But church family, it's 2022. And our country's foster system is overwhelmed and screaming for help. Those being sex trafficked are crying out for help. The poor and the disheartened are in need for Christ's love and our aid. Widows need you. They need hearers and doers. True religion controls the tongue. True religion reaches out to people in their need. And true religion is a pure life unstained from the world. The world tells you to to look out for you. to to live your best life however you choose because you deserve it. Don't don't fall for those lies. Don't be swayed by the world. No matter how crooked the world gets, stay true to God's word because the world could give a flying rip about you, but Jesus cares deeply and passionately for your soul. He loves you more than anything or anyone could possibly. Stay true and fixated on His Word. It's our foundation. Stay pure in this life and guard your heart that we might not be shaken. So in conclusion, true religion involves our words, our hands, and our hearts. It demands action. And just like in that small room with the stinky, feeted people around the table, Jesus showed us and asked us to do something. He bent down on one knee and He washed the feet of the disciples. And He said, you see Me do this, do this for others. Don't just hear and watch and observe. Go out there and do. Heavenly Father, Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Jesus, it's because of you that we live. You alone saved us, and Jesus, you alone are saving us. Help us as a church family to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Lead us, Father, to love those around us, those who are in need, the orphan and the widow. Keep us unstained from the world and open our eyes to your word that we might hear and do. Your word demands action. So, Father, with our words and our hands and our heart, may we be fully devoted to You. Lord, as we continue to worship You this morning, ah, may we just praise You. For You are good. And we need You direly. We love you and praise you. Your name, amen.